I want to thank Research FDI for sponsoring today's podcast. They're a globally renowned lead generation firm that helps economic development organizations create real prospects. They've helped over 500 economic development organizations. Let me tell you exactly what they do. They facilitate one-on-one meetings for economic developers with corporate executives who will have projects soon. They can facilitate these meetings to where you travel to the corporate executive's office and meet them there, or you meet them at a trade show, or even have a conference call with them so you don't have to pay for travel. They recently launched a service called FDI 365, which provides you a lead a day of fast-growing companies that will be expanding soon. Their research has helped over $5 billion worth of projects get cited since inception. I encourage you to go to www.researchfdi.com to learn more about Research FDI. As far as I'm concerned, they are absolutely the best lead generation firm in the business for economic developers. Call them at 514-488-3168 and see how Research FDI can help you create real prospects. Hello, this is Chad Chancellor with Next Move Group. Before we begin today's podcast, if you've been enjoying our podcast series, Please go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. That'll sure help us out. We'd appreciate it a whole lot. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Next Move Group, We Are Jobs podcast. I am your host, CEO Chuck Sexton. Before we get to our guest, I wanted to uh, let the folks out there know that we have some more executive search that will be kicking off uh, very soon. We have some in uh, Florida, Kansas, and Arkansas. So keep uh, your eyes out for that. We're also doing some recruiting and executive search for an engineering firm in South Carolina. So if you are an engineer that's listening to this podcast and you're looking for a potential promotion, relocation, or even working from home, reach out to Alex at alex at nextmovegroup.com. Our guest today is Colby Kirk. Colby is the president and CEO of One East Kentucky. And uh, I wanted to have him on because he has some unique experiences in his career. So thanks for joining me, Colby. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. <laughs> so um, give a little background. What got, How did you end up in economic development to begin with? It's a long story, actually. Uh, I was a Teach for America teacher. And knew I didn't want to stay in the classroom forever. And uh, they lined an internship up for me in Harlan County. Uh, So I I worked for their fiscal court, helping them on some grant writing. And uh, got to know about the field of economic development a little bit. The the judge down there, Dan Mosley, was involved in KAED at the time. And uh, I, I got interested in the field. And there was a position that came open for an organization called One East Kentucky, and uh, it just so happened that the interview would take place at the the SOAR Summit, the kind of a regional community development uh, uh, expo kind of thing. And so that's the first day I ever met you, Chuck. Uh, and we, we interviewed and uh, you gave a, a, a chance to a young kid who was, I guess, ambitious and, and wanting to, to do some good in this part of the state. And, and the rest is kind of history from there. I was with you for a little over a year. I went back to Harlan County, did a startup uh, economic development organization there, kind of a public-private partnership. Uh, That was three and a half years down there. And then I had the chance to go back home to Martin County on a more political level. Uh, I went to to return to work for Judge Sloan as his deputy judge executive. And then 
Judge Sloan, unfortunately, uh, passed away rather unexpectedly about six months into that role. And I was appointed by the governor to fulfill his seat. I never had political ambitions, but I wound up being, I believe, the youngest uh, county judge executive in Martin County history. Maybe state history. Maybe I, I, I back in the 1800s, everyone was young, but uh, but yeah, <laughs> definitely <laughs> in the modern era, I was probably one of the younger ones, and uh, so that uh, was a great experience for me. You know, I, I loved working with the fiscal court, but as a county judge executive, you don't get to spend 100% of your time working on what I think are the important things of like economic development. You know, you're petting people on the back as much, and and helping get ditches pulled and gravel put down where it needs to be put down. And for me, that, was, that wasn't the best fit. Uh, and so when the, the One East Kentucky CEO position came open, so, someone left to do great things. And, uh, and so I uh, thought that may be a good fit for me to get back into the private sector, back working full-time in economic development. And I had some discussions with the board and it felt like a good fit. And so I've been here for about six months now and hit the ground running. Well, I, okay. So you said judge executive a few times and that's not a thing in every state. So oh, yeah. explain to folks what a judge executive is. Well, I guess it's like a, some counties have county mayors or county administrators. Uh, in Kentucky, we don't have uh, like the administrator system. So you're you're kind of elected in this mayoral position, but you also have those administrator duties. So you oversee like a local legislative body. You make uh, kind of all the financial decisions for local government in that community. And that encompasses everything from solid waste, roads and bridges. And in small communities, you have to do the tourism and the economic development as well. So you're kind of uh, you're wearing several hats uh, in, in Kentucky that way. And in some communities, the judge executive is the only top elected official in that community, in that county, because they don't have a, a municipality big enough for a mayor. Right. And that's kind of Martin County's case. There are two very small cities and they have councils, but it's nothing really organized enough. And and we would have uh, kind of agreements with them for mutual aid. So we were taking care of, of all their stuff. <laughs> uh, they were just kind of ceremonial. Well, it's interesting to me that you uh, you were an elected official for a time, and I'm I, I know a lot of economic developers out there have you have to deal with elected officials all the time as an economic developer. So, what would you say is maybe one of the more surprising things you you dealt with as an elected official that maybe you didn't think was something you'd have to deal with? Um, I, I guess I didn't realize how big of a firefighter they are, you know, and I, I guess that's true of a lot of management positions. It seems like you move from one fire to the next, and and with fiscal courts, especially in eastern Kentucky, when you're kind of that single point of contact for so many different fields, it seems like you move from one emergency to the next. Uh, and then responding to natural disasters, that was kind of new for me. Uh, I, the first time it snowed when I was working as county judge, I was like, man, that's pretty. Oh, God, I have to have someone clean this up. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, you, you got to think about those things that, you know, you wouldn't think of in the private sector. Um, and, and then, I, you know, you also realize it's important. One of the, the best things I did when I had to win a primary to keep that uh, for a while. So I went door to door to about 8000 homes. It seemed like I was out every night until dark 30. <laughs> Didn't matter, you know, as the as the sun, days were getting longer, I was out longer and longer. Um, and, and you get to talk to people about kind of what their goals and ambitions are for the communities too. And I think a, 
you know, regardless of walks of life and, and where people are from and what they're going through, they all have similar goals. They want to see our communities grow and thrive so that their children have opportunities and they want to see investments in our infrastructure. Um, and, and so that was the priorities of mine when I went into that. I also uh, talked to a lot of other local officials. There's a great judge executive association in Kentucky. I got to know officials throughout you know, Eastern Kentucky that I was working alongside and uh, I think that's helped me kind of in this role as well to have those relationships kind of already uh, in place, uh, uh, but also to know kind of what their goals for their communities were. I, I tell them all, all the time, there's not a single person that I know of in eastern Kentucky that doesn't, doesn't campaign for local office trying to bring jobs to their community. And so now I'm like, well, you guys need to have some skin in the game. All right. If you're going to go out there and campaign and say you're wanting to bring jobs, here's what I need you to do to help us be successful in economic development. And I think I've had some I've got some leverage on them now, knowing that I've been in their shoes. Yeah, that's an interesting position to be in. I, I would imagine there's probably a lot of economic developers out there who would like to have that kind of experience in their back pocket, uh, especially in an area where they're now the economic developer. And they understand exactly what those elected officials are going through, what their capabilities could be, even if those elected officials don't, maybe coaching them a little bit. I think that's really interesting. Absolutely. It's been great for me to to have those trainings and know, like, there's a lot of tools local governments can do to support projects, not just like the traditional investments in water, sewer, and properties, but they can use CDBG funds to make low interest loans for projects, especially right now in a time when rates are so high, they can go like prime rates minus three and four percent and still make money as a county. And uh, and so I've been able to to help coach some of my my local elected officials into helping put a, together a local incentive package, knowing the, the resources they have it, uh, to play. I'm glad you mentioned that. That's uh, that's really interesting. There's there's not a. Um... On our site selection side, that's something that our clients are asking for more often now is low interest loans. And so um, because we're not seeing that a whole lot out there, one of the things that Chad and I have discussed is doing one you know, our movement membership is having a movement show about uh, how to structure low interest loans in creative ways. Uh, because not everybody even know there's a lot of folks out there don't know that you can use CDBG funds uh, to do those sorts of things. So yeah, and it's not just CDBG in Kentucky. Uh, counties can do that in Eastern Kentucky with their coal severance funds as well. You can set it up like a revolving loan. And uh, we've got a little bit of coal to play with. There's been a, an uptick in mining in the last year. It's its best price it's been in probably my lifetime. And so it's not going to last forever. We know that it's probably in five years, it'll be back to the same state it was in 2012 when it bottomed out. But as we see these funds come in, we've got to be wise with what we do with them. And I think if we can make investments like that, have these loan funds set up, uh, it'll make our counties more successful. What's causing the uptick in coal? Is it exporting or because it's not really being used domestically, is it? Well, there was some, I, I guess, uptick in the steam coal market uh, with the, the gas shortage. I think there was just some fears, you know, uh, what was going on in Europe with the war in Ukraine. There's been a, a great market always for metallurgical coal. I think that we'll always see that. If you've got a Met coal mine in Appalachia, you know, they need that to make steel. It's really hard to make steel otherwise. We've seen some charcoal producers coming online with higher grade charcoals uh, to aid in that process, but they're not cost competitive yet with coal. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that there will always be some kind of push for energy independence and knowing that this is a, a resource that we have. 
Um, and, and you can do other things with coal. When I worked in Harlan County, I, I was fascinated. We had a, a small truck mine that uh, all of the coal they mined from Cranks, Kentucky, which is the middle of nowhere on the top of Stone Mountain, <laughs> it went to Finland. And they used that coal in a process of making like carbon filters. They really? exported it and they sent it overseas. It, it all made it to Finland for some company they had a contract with. And they used that in a process to make, uh, they would harvest the carbon content of the coal and make carbon products out of it. So like, uh, like Brita filters? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I would, I would think a little bigger than that uh, from based on what they were doing, just the volume of what yeah. they were doing. I, I think that kind of the traditional stuff on that is more of the charcoal method, but, uh, yeah. uh, and they were, this was kind of a carbon fiber process, but fascinating. I, you didn't realize all the things you can do with coal. That's interesting. I, um, you know, we've been working with a lot of communities in Appalachia recently and I'm, I'm in, in multiple States, West Virginia, Virginia, Pennsylvania, uh, even New York, there's ARC Appalachian regional commission communities in, in New York state. I'm curious, what do you think, especially the areas of Appalachia who, who have not seen the growth that other areas of ARC's territory have? What do you think are some of the biggest priorities that those communities should have? Well, I think we need to keep after ARC to finish their uh, highway system that they started back in the 60s. I think that needs to be uh, a priority. There's, uh, I think, a, an eight-mile section here in southeastern Kentucky across Pine Mountain in Letcher County, that's, uh, they've improved it, but it's never been complete. Uh, and, and there was funding years ago. I think that's what made parts of West Virginia more successful when they finished Corridor G between Charleston uh, and Williamson. And then they finished 64 from Charleston to Huntington. Think, look at all the industry that's located, you know, between Charleston and Huntington through Taze Valley. If we can see those uh, infrastructure projects finished out, I think it'd be a great priority for us. Um, and I also think that the, they're going to have to continue to help us make investments in uh, water and sewer infrastructure. I have these conversations with our small town mayors all the time that you know, they don't know what an industrial demand for utility service looks like. They've never thought of that. They're, you know, they're, they just put past these flat residential rates and they say, oh, it'll be the same commercial rate for the industrial part. And then we get an RFI and I talked to an engineer in Perry County a couple of weeks ago. We had an RFI for a company and their gas demand was more than the entire city of Hazard in a year. Oh, wow. It was they were they were going to use like double the gas. And so they've never thought of, you know, what would a rate look like for these big projects? And and so we need uh, the ARC to continue to help us make these investments so that we can provide infrastructure at these levels and also yeah. educate our local officials on how to sell it to them. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. I want to thank LocationOne.com. Some of you know it as Lois for sponsoring today's podcast. In my opinion, Lois is the best buildings and sites database on the market. One of the reasons I think that is it gives you nationwide exposure. So I used to be the economic developer in Paducah, Kentucky, and I made a terrible mistake. I only put my buildings and sites on the Kentucky Economic Development Buildings and Sites database. Well, Paducah bordered Illinois and was within 30 or so miles of Missouri, Indiana, and Tennessee. So what sense did it make for me to not put my bills and sites on a nationwide database? Well, Lois does that for you. Looking back, I should have put my bills and sites on Lois. It's also easy to use for an economic developer. It's just like using Facebook. It walks you through 
how to insert your pictures and your information and so forth. And the thing I like most, it works well on my iPad. If I'm in an industrial building, I want to be able to look at that thing on my iPad. Lois does that for me. Other buildings and sites, databases struggle with that. So if you got 10 or 15 minutes to spare, go over to location1.com, book yourself a demo and see if this can help your community have more success. You got a project that had a double gas demand of one of the city's gas demands in your community. So talking along the project standpoint, what has your project activity been like lately? Well, uh, we've had some uh, quite a bit of activity from the state, actually, a lot in um, kind of this EV related uh, projects. I think that they're kind of tertiary to the Blue Oval SK, uh, big announcement that Kentucky had. I'm sure y'all mentioned that on a previous podcast. Um, we've also seen a lot in woodworking, wood products. Uh, I've been mm. surprised at, at some of that activity. There's a big shortage of um, staves right now to make bourbon barrels. And so we've seen some kind of organic local projects develop through that. Um, guys from kind of Round County area that are looking a little farther east, trying to get closer to their source of oak yeah. so that they can make more of these barrels. Um, charcoals, we've had two big charcoal projects. Um, but that big gas user, I think they were a, a chemical supplier uh, that was kind of supplying battery manufacturing. I think lithium mm. hydroxide was the product that they produced. And it takes a lot of gas in that process uh, to make that chemical. Yeah. I, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize the wood basket that's in Appalachia. And, um, you know, I, I don't know a whole lot about it. There's a lot of what, oak and hardwoods and stuff? A lot of hardwoods. We've, we're pretty lucky in, in this part of the world to have a, a diverse forest. So you, there's access to those pulp woods and round woods. Uh, softer stuff but we've had companies in the past like trust joyce mcmillan take advantage of that um but then we also have a great supply of like the the hickories the maples the the white oaks the red oaks uh and and i think every oak tree that's being cut in the big sandy area right now is probably going to be turned into a wine or bourbon barrel they're making their way uh, down towards moorhead and ashland area um my dad cut three trees a few weeks ago that had fallen and he, he took them down and sold them to a guy in Louisa. And they said, he said they would be bourbon barrels. He got oh, about wow. $8,000 for three logs. <laughs> and uh, I mean, that's how big the market is right now. That's a great price for Oak. So yeah, I've been dropping acorns all around my property, hoping that maybe my kids and grandkids someday <laughs> could make some money on it. <laughs> We're going to grow us a little wood basket here on the property. Kids can use that one of these days. That's an investment right there. So have you seen um, communities' priorities change any with, uh, you know, increases in interest rates and some of the things that are going on in the market um, and housing issues? You know, what kind of housing issues are you seeing? We've seen housing become a big priority just in the last few years. Um, Eastern Kentucky suffered some pretty devastating flooding in, in parts of the Kentucky River Valley last year. And there's been some support from the state to develop kind of higher ground housing, I think is what they're calling it. And so we've got a project in Perry County uh, that they're looking to build, uh, you know, 200 units and new homes, uh, partnerships through the state and private organizations to, to build new communities on former mine sites that are up and out of the floodplain. Uh, similarly, in Letcher County, they're looking at that as well. It's a uh, it used to be a buyer's market in eastern Kentucky. When I when I moved to Harlan County, I had my pick, you know, down there. People couldn't get rid of property quick enough. But I think with 
the advent of remote work. I think COVID's kind of accelerated a lot of that. Folks who were from the region and had to move away for work that can now work remotely, they're coming back home. We've also seen folks, when I was county judge, we had uh, people from like six different states move to Martin County just because, you know, it's quiet. It's away from these big cities where there's increasing crime rates and they don't want to deal with the traffic and congestion. Uh, there was a family from Washington that bought a 60 acre farm on Wolf Creek and they are homesteading and loving it. He sold his property in the Seattle area and for less than a quarter of what he sold his property for, he was able to buy a big farm in Martin County. Wow. And, and he's loving that. We've had families from Colorado kind of do the same thing. Uh, so it's it's great to see folks that are, are new coming into the region, uh, but it is putting a strain kind of on, on that available housing. So I think yeah. counties and cities are kind of putting a focus on how can we, you know, use our resources to encourage more housing development. Well, with folks coming in from uh, other states, do, do you have communities that are kind of uh, shifting some priorities towards community development things? Yes, that's been a, actually a big focus of through One East Kentucky and in the last little bit. Uh, something I think that you guys really started when you were here, Chuck, was this the partnership with Retail Strategies. Uh, we'd done some work with you guys when I was in Harlan on that. Uh, and we're doing a big project in six cities uh, to uh, have a downtown revitalization plan put forth. Mm -hmm. So we've done that work already. We've had site visits with uh, the consultants in Inez and Prestonsburg, um, Hazard and Pikeville, Kentucky, and Jenkins and Whitesburg, Kentucky will also participate in that later this year. And, and I think that communities are realizing that quality of life and quality of place are just as important when it comes to trying to attract new investment. Uh, you know, if folks are wanting to do business here, they're wanting to also see what the, the restaurants are like downtown and what the, the community's like if they're going to move and live here. Mm -hmm. uh, so we think that's just as important. It goes hand in hand with the work that we're trying to do. You know, living here still, and, and I have to travel a lot, but, you know, when I am driving around, I've noticed a lot of retail activity picking up. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. Yeah, we, we've seen, uh, I think, the Mayo Plaza in Paintsville. When I was in high school, it probably was more than 50% vacant, and I think they have one space available right now. I mean, that that's great that, uh, that we're seeing that kind of investment. And, I, you know, I think that it's kind of ebbed and flowed with online shopping. There's some things that people will always buy online no matter what, but there's some things you want to hold in your hand before you buy it. Yeah. And I think that there's always going to be a place for brick and mortar retail. Uh, and I, I think it just took us a, a little bit of a shift to figure that out. And, and I'm sure that retail investment's happening across the country. You know, I noticed that this past weekend. I was out of cologne and I needed some more cologne. And, yeah, that's uh, not anything you'd ever want to buy online, is it? Yeah, somebody said, why don't you just buy something online? I'm like, how do I know what it smells like? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to just buy something and get it in and it smells like something my papa wore. <laughs> not that my papa stunk or anything, but he wore like Brute. Back back when they had those little cars uh, that the Brute came in, I would play with that thing and he'd smack me every time I'd play with his cologne <laughs> because it looked like an old-timey car. <laughs> that's funny. So what then are your priorities, I guess, as you kind of look forward to the rest of this year? What's your big focus at One East Kentucky from an economic development standpoint? So we're being really aggressive on recruitment this year, trying to, to build up a steady pipeline. Um, we're also trying to get some communities to do work in investing in new product. So the state's got a great grant program uh, that they've put, I think, $100 million of funding behind uh, to develop 
new and quality sites uh, throughout the state. These can be investments in our existing industrial parks or to acquire new ones. And so we're looking at uh, maybe some communities partnering together uh, to do some large kind of build ready sites in one of our regional parks. Uh, we've got another community uh, that's looking at getting some funds to put up a speculative building. And, and it's great for us to always have that available product because as I'm out on the road meeting with companies, I just uh, did a recruitment trip through Florida two weeks ago. Uh, everyone's wanting a building and they're wanting it tomorrow. You know, if they could and it was available to them, they would choose to, to go into something that was available as quickly as possible. And so I, I know that that's not just an issue here. It's probably throughout the entire Southeast that there's not a lot of available industrial buildings. And so if we can get more product up online, that's going to be good for our efforts uh, as we're, you know, carrying out this aggressive recruitment schedule. Yeah, buildings are not easy to come by right now, you know, um, looking for them. It doesn't really matter the size either. Um, the I was looking for a 20,000 square foot one not too long ago and uh, found one in a wow. area. And, um, you know, it's just it's interesting to me that uh, you're not seeing more focus on the building aspect of it. But I think it's really neat the the product development initiative in Kentucky. I've seen I'm seeing more states who are putting money behind helping communities invest in real estate. So it sounds like your focus is primarily on build ready sites. Is there is there much money there for speculative building? There's growth? some. Uh, so counties in the second round of funding are eligible for up to two million dollars, and if they partner together, that doubles or triples uh, with a cap of up to ten million. And so we're looking, we're in talks with three counties doing a partnership at our industrial park in Perry County. And with $6 million, we may be able to put up a good size shell building. Uh, that, that that's be, kind of some of the hope. That'd be nice. Oh, one thing I think a lot of economic developers too out there <clears throat> who listen, there's areas where, you know, they don't have to worry about putting up buildings because there's a lot of private development going on. Talk about that challenge in rural areas. Yeah. I mean, uh, in a part of the state, it seems like that burden is left on the local governments uh, or our local economic development authorities. And, you know, 20 years ago, when communities were flush with coal severance taxes, they were able to make some of these investments. We saw, I think, three buildings were built uh, at the industrial park in Martin County with coal severance taxes. Uh, some of the big buildings in Perry County, I think, were assisted with that as well. And And so as that revenue source dried up, you know, when coal bottomed out in 2012, communities weren't able to keep making these investments. And so as these buildings have been snatched up for, uh, you know, manufacturing and other purposes, uh, counties haven't been, you know, able to support continued development to have new buildings ready and available to rent. And so we don't see a lot of, of private development. We've done some work. Um, I introduced a community to some folks at AgriSale a couple of weeks ago that they're looking at maybe financing a building through them kind of doing unique new ways of, of getting stuff like this ready. Um, but I will put in a good plug for a product that we're taking advantage of with you all. So in, in the gap of not being able to put up a traditional building, there are tools today with modern technology and the next move group to do virtual buildings. And so and this was actually something I did in Harlan County. We didn't have the budget to do a spec building. Uh, but we participated uh, with you guys and uh, got a virtual kind of dynamic building calculator put up for our build ready site. And it helped us get a lot more interest in just a build ready site, knowing that there are options of customizing a building, you know, to a prospect's likeness on that property. 
Yeah, and having that uh, engineering already done uh, from a building perspective is probably helpful too. It's interesting. I'm glad you mentioned that because um, Clinton, Missouri, uh, last year uh, used our they were using our virtual building. They got the biggest investment in their community's history off the virtual building platform. That's awesome. And, yeah, we're we're looking forward to rolling that out later this year. We're going to get five five or six. Uh, of those virtual buildings for different industrial sites throughout our footprint. And I, you know, I can't wait to see what investment follows behind that. Thank you all for helping us with that, Chuck. Well, it was a bit of a unique project. We like doing things that uh, we have to customize a little bit because, you know, a lot of times it's, it's a single community that's doing a virtual building platform and maybe they want one or three and that's all they, they want. But, you know, you have a regional group, you have nine counties. And right. so it was it was fun to kind of take a look at that and say, OK, how can we reduce cost and still give a platform that can be sort of customized between communities and figuring that out was really kind of a fun part of the project and doing it with you all. And I'm, I'm excited to see the project finish up because I think there's more regions out there who might want to take advantage of doing something like that, where, you know, you can lower the cost burden <laughs> instead of each community having to do it on their own. Uh, being able to do it more cost effectively. Yeah. Yeah. We're looking forward to it too. So what do you have coming up? You have more travel coming up this uh, pretty soon? Yeah, this is a busy month for me, actually. I'm leaving today for KED. There's spring conferences in Louisville. And then next week, I'm going to Pittsburgh with the Appalachian Leadership Institute. That's a program through the ARC. Um, we've got a session on downtown revitalization. We're going to do tour some stuff in Pittsburgh and kind of how they've reinvented themselves after you know the loss of the steel industry uh and then i've got a recruitment trip the following week uh all throughout northern part of ohio so i think we've got six or seven meetings already set up so keeping the roads hot this year trying to to bring some investment back to eastern kentucky while we can north ohio is not a bad place to go uh, we've got a lot of site selection clients who are headquartered up there too so that's not a that's not a bad area to, to head to and i'll tell you one place i think that you know probably could be a good place to recruit right now is michigan really because they just repealed right to work mm. and now i we haven't heard anything out of michigan on that like companies or anything just yet but one of the things i noticed immediately with some of our clients who said, let's uh, maybe take Michigan off the table or even even looking close to Michigan's border uh, in other states that, that border Michigan. They said, well, let's move our focus ge geographically away from that border because, I, you know, the feeling out there is that attitude might leak down from a unionization standpoint. But, you know, the way things are in the U.S. today, I, I kind of see more union activity um, kind of rising back up a little bit just because of workforce shortages, folks being asked to work longer hours, more expected of them on production floors and stuff like that. So I think it could be indicative of where we are as a country right now to see more of that. Right. And that's funny you mentioned that. That actually came up in a conversation I had with a company in uh, Miami area two weeks ago. They work on large uh, kind of cargo vessels. Uh, the engine repair uh, breakdown and maintenance of all that. And they're looking, they were looking for a location in the Great Lakes. And they said that, you know, they were worried about looking at Michigan sites because of that. And so I, I had to tell them the statistics that we're 95% non-union in Eastern Kentucky. And they like to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's surprising to a lot of folks, 95% non-union because, you know, coal mining being the past, everybody kind of correlates that with unionization. 
Right. Well, and, and my grandpa was a staunch union member, but that was back in the days when they were fighting for hot water tanks in the company provided housing. It's not like the issues that we're seeing today. And, and you know, my dad wasn't a union miner and, and his benefits as a miner were just as beneficial, just as great as not the same as what my grandpa had. And so I, I think we're we're getting kind of beyond some of, you know, what those people stood up and fought for. I think that uh, we're in a lot better shape today than than folks were fighting for 100 years ago. Well, you know, every economic developer out there has has a tough job, regardless of the community they're in. But, uh, you know, obviously, having lived in uh, eastern Kentucky and and worked there, I know how difficult uh, and, and but also rewarding the position can be. So wishing you the best of luck as you continue forward as president and CEO of One East Kentucky. And obviously anything we can do to continue to support and help please let us know. I appreciate you joining me on the podcast. We're going to cut this one a little short because we're going to hop on and talk some business here for a little bit with Colby. Uh, if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, you know somebody who would reach out to me, Chuck, at nextmovegroup.com, and we will see you in a couple of weeks. Thanks.